I would definitely say I've chosen jobs based off of unattainable level of difficulty where I'm like, I need to do this because it's so different and so cool. And I want to be part of something bigger and learn and challenge myself. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. I am very excited for this podcast. This is a person I've been wanting to get on for quite a while. I talk to her on a daily basis, but it's officially happening. And we have Angela Brigioni on, and she is the creative partner, creative director at Growth Hit, and now our newly formed startup studio, she runs it, and so she is here today. So, Angela, thank you for coming on. I know it took me some took some some convincing, but glad you're here. No convincing. I'm so happy to be here. I only wish it was sooner, and this is awesome. I can't wait to be in all the good company that you've had on this uh, podcast before. And the goal for today, so if anyone has an idea, like, okay, I've got this idea, bounce around my head. How the heck do I make it real? The goal for today is to kind of talk about what we're attempting to do at our startup studio where Angela and I, if you if you could see our Slack threads, you'd be like, these people are crazy. We have so many half-baked ideas. Half of them are horrible, but some of them were like, this is worth testing. And that's where we're like, okay, let's do this. And so to make something real has been a real interesting exercise because we're like, okay, let's stand up a website, stamp a landing page, let's drive traffic and let's create a brand. And what Angela's superpower is, is she can take these half-baked ideas and make them real. So her background's super impressive from in New York, working at Mirror, a big time design agency, working on things with Nike and LeBron James in a previous life. She was design director at a D2C brand. And that's where we kind of really started working well together. Where I can have these half-baked ideas, you actually make them look very legitimate. But any more context on your background so people kind of understand? Well, I think my background is kind of, it's interesting. You know, like it's it's not specific and it's never kind of been specified. Like I would definitely say I've chosen jobs based off of like, a unattainable level of different like difficulty where I'm like I need to do this because it's so different and so cool and I want to be part of something bigger and learn and challenge myself so I've always kind of chosen a path of jobs that have been really entrepreneurial and basically I've only ever worked in like a startup environment so whether it was like an actual company that was you know starting from ground zero helping to build it or working in an agency environment which is kind of like a startup within a startup because every project's brand new. Everything is different. You're kind of always starting from ground zero. It's kind of been a lifetime of of working in that capacity. So I'm always up for, you know, how do we bring this idea to life and how do we make it tangible? You know, so in that capacity, working on all of these different brands and helping develop them, I think now at this point at my sixth brand like from the ground up standing it up so I feel like I've kind of like done this a lot at this point which is pretty cool 
you've, you've got the reps, you've got the muscles. And I think what's exciting is now to stand up things that you have ownership in. Right. And so yeah. people have probably seen in a previous episode, we talked about the $3 million challenge where we're like, all right, if we're such a good growth team at growth hit, which is our growth marketing agency, why can't we grow our own stuff? And so our goal is actually in the next 60 days to validate two, maybe three companies. I'm not going to put too much pressure on Angela, but validate two companies to see if they're worth spinning out to become real businesses. And so what we're talking about today is, you know, how we do exactly what Angela is saying is like stand up these brands to see if there's something there all along this goal, the, the $3 million challenge. So, you know, first let's even talk about it's like, okay, that's great. You've got this idea. You have to build this brand, this this online experience so it means something to people. I mean, what is our goal with this? Just so we give people context. Because for me, what I'm thinking through is we just need to have something that conveys the idea of what we want to do, whether it's a landing page, showing a product we'd want to sell. And the goal that we're trying to get to is a sale online. So getting money from people or to potentially building a wait list. And with this D2C brand, and we talked about this previous episode, it's a, we're trying to create a category for men. It's a dry pomade, kind of like dry shampoo and pomade for men. We're creating a category, creating a Shopify experience and do a transaction. And here's the issue that we have. We want to stand this up, but we want to do this really fast. And we want to do this by not spending a lot of money and time on this. And so, you know, Angela, those are really tough constraints you have to work with. Can you talk about like how you even approach that, like setting up a brand with this validation model when mm-hmm. I think deep down you want to be a perfectionist that's like, let me spend 10 hours on making this landing page perfect. Yeah. Well, I think that moving fast and wanting to get the ideas validated is it's a smart way to approach, you know, starting a new business first off. And it's extra difficult when you come from a background of lifestyle brands and really understanding that brands impact how you design anything, even you know from the identity of a brand, a logo, the typography, any of the design elements, and then translating those into a product and then translating that into a digital experience. So it's incredibly hard to do all of that in an expedited timeline when you are a perfectionist. And so something that you and I have had to do a lot of is kind of cherry pick what's the most important thing. Like what are the MVP elements that we need in order to get this into a place that we could create any kind of marketing assets for? So, you know, we had to kind of decide, all right, we know we need some kind of logo. We need some kind of name. We need some kind of product identity so that when we put any kind of assets into the world, they visually align with like our landing pages or, you know, any kind of visual language that we have in the world. And so we kind of need those sets of things. And then we need a little bit of a personality to kind of be the driver of how we speak and communicate and what the tone of the brand is. And then kind of moving forward a little bit more, you know, we need a landing page you know, where we could have maybe done something a little different is to just do one landing page, but we decided to kind of create a micro site just because brand was a little bit more important to us in this instance. I think when you're speaking to a beauty product or a lifestyle brand, it is important to storytell a little bit more. So that's kind of why we decided to 
build a little bit more of a robust site rather than just a singular like landing page experience, you know, and, and that was kind of like our process. Needless to say, could we have expedited this by saying, okay, let's just like pick a name, type it out, and then plop everything into a single PDP page and create some really quick ads and just kind of put it in the world and see what kind of success or metrics we get. And then we'll go backwards and build all of the other elements out. Um, but that's not the way that I approach brands. So <laughs> you got stuck working with me on this, where I kind of took everything a little bit further than maybe it had to go in this instance. But I think the result's really good. Yeah. And I'm interested at the very end to talk about like what we did well and what we didn't do well, because you hit on a good point. Because I think if we're doing a B2B SaaS product, maybe brand isn't as important because we're solving a problem for a B2B customer. And it's really about like that magic moment, that value you're portraying. On the B2C side, sometimes you're selling more than just a product. You're selling aspiration. And that's where you and I were like, okay, crap, we, we kind of need to do this right, you know, and, and, and put something to it. So as we make that decision, you have a hard job. And so I want to kind of go through this process. I think this will be helpful for people to like, crap, what's a process for creating this MVP of a brand? And you actually had some really good steps where you're trying to extract out of me this idea for a brand from, okay, what's the look and feel? Who are we talking to? What's your inspiration? Will you kind of walk through the process of like what you did to give you the tools to actually create this brand and, and build this website experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we started, you had an idea and you were like, I don't know, this could be a crazy idea or it could be a great idea. And so you kind of pitched it to me and I was like, well, do you have other things that you like just from other products that you like, other brands you admire or aspire to be? We needed to start somewhere if we wanted to create any kind of D2C lifestyle brand because it does matter in this context, right? So you were able to kind of pull together, I think it was like a PowerPoint presentation of elements of things that Google you Google slides, liked. it was Google slides, but yes. Yeah, it was Google slides, sorry about that. You know, and I think you had a picture of protein bar that you liked the packaging of, and you had a picture of sneakers that you liked, and you had a picture of shaving cream, and that kind of painted this picture for me visually. Okay, Jim likes kind of this clean simplistic approach that's not complicated, but it's elevated. And so that helped define a, like a visual direction and tone for me to like start working into. And then it was kind of about getting like pulling more and more and more from you. A lot of people have really great ideas, but they don't really know how to define the brand that they want to build or define um, the product look and feel that they want. And so I basically have created a questionnaire, you know, that I've worked on with other startups, other really new ventures to kind of help them identify simple questions that help me build out that visual um, option for them. So, you know, I could go into some of the questions that I asked you if you wanted, or I could, you know, share kind of the next step of how we built out like mood boards. A couple examples of the questions is helpful and like why those questions, how those questions drove a, a brand strategy or design strategy. Yeah. 
Well, the first question I think is really important, but sometimes not always easy for people to, you know, any entrepreneur to come up with. But what is your mission statement? We knew that you were solving a problem. But, you know, I think that that's a really important question to ask yourself, specifically if you want to start any kind of, you know, D2C lifestyle brand. And I keep saying that because I think what we're doing, building a brand is much different than launching a product. And brands make you believe in a product, right? Like brands give you a purpose to believe in a product where a product could just maybe solve a problem and then you sell it on Amazon, right? You have good SEO and and you kind of just launch it into this world where people can find a solution. And so building a mission statement for a brand is super important because it kind of, it's the North Star of like how you'll go into the world and who you think is going to resonate with you most. And so that's kind of the overarching number one question. You said coming soon. So we didn't really get too uh, far on that one. I think we ended up updating it to like ridding the world of bad hair days. Bad hair days, yeah. Was was the mission. But just even that prompt, because when you have this idea and you get tasked with, oh, what's your mission statement for your new company? You're like, well, crap. It's like, I was just thinking about this simple problem. And you you force this kind of mental gymnastics. And I will say those, those questions you put were really hard, but it was so necessary to help then figure out who we are and almost just as, just as important, the personas we want to go after. Yeah. And I didn't mean to, you know, we had talked about the, the problem you were solving for, you know, months leading into, not months, but a few weeks leading into this. And so I kind of had an idea already of what the goal of, of your product would be, but like, what would be the mission of your brand? And there are different things. You know, some of the other questions that I brought up to you are like, what are three brands that you feel align with your brand vision in terms of look and feel? And what are three brands in terms of lifestyle and mood? Those are important like questions to answer because we want to align with brands and consumers that buy those brands. Otherwise, we might be missing a market. So you had said brands that you kind of um, feel align are similar to like Harry's or Bombas or Lululemon or Allbirds. So what that says to me is that you want to be kind of aligned with these venture-backed startups in this D2C world that are successfully resonating with their customers and their they have this kind of you know beautiful aspirational feel, but yet it's really attainable and it's like not polarizing in any way. It has a lot of welcomeness to it. And so that starts helping me define, okay, we have this problem, step A. We know that this is kind of the look and feel and the mood. These are brands we aspire to look and feel like, yet, you know, we want to be different than 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 they are. And so we kind of, you know, for me, I start forming this this picture in my head about what what we could start shaping. And then the next question that I always like asking is like, what's something you totally feel is opposite that doesn't feel on brand for for this idea at all? You know, and 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 that helps really define where we don't go ever. And you know, they could resonate for they could not resonate for whatever reason to you, but it's really important because you're the personality behind 
this idea. And if those are thing, you know, elements of the world that don't uh, apply to this concept or this brand, we don't want to shape it to look and feel anything like that. So I think that those are really important places to start as we're going to segue into the next phase of building out the brand visually. Yeah. And who you're not going to be, that one was a hard one to ask, but also a good forcing function to kind of hone in on, on what this could be. And like, even to give some people some examples, like not competitive at all, but there is a product, it's a hat called Melon. And the reason why I love their experience is it's a simple product, but it's it's premium. I think I paid like 50 bucks for a hat. I'm very Costa conscious. And for me to pay 50 bucks for a hat is a lot, but I just the way they sell the quality of it was really impressive. And so that was inspiring for, for the product that, that we've built. And so we answer these questions, you get that. And then I believe the next step was you then present to me essentially three brand kits, almost like a brand in a box. And you even like came up with some fun names and tones to it. And the thing I loved about it is as we're figuring out this process, you're like, it's almost like choose your own adventure. Here are three and then let's go. And they were all within the same kind of tone, but like very, but also different. And so I don't know if you want to elaborate on how, like what that means, those three brand options. Yeah. Yeah. I like to approach like any design project, whether it's like building a brand or building a website or, you know, any, any design project with, with kind of like three options. So one's maybe like very safe and very like close to what you might want. One is kind of um, a little bit out there. And and then one could be even a little bit more out there. You know, anything that kind of gives you an option because there's no way I'm going to like get this right on the first try. And what that allows us to do is have a conversation about what is resonating and what's not. And so, you know, like the first concept, I think I called it, I called it dirty ox and (laughs) the idea of one call out. I love that you gave it names and you even mocked up products of a pomade and put like a generated logo on it, but it just felt so real. And there's something exciting. We have an idea then you like visualize it and even start throwing names to it. You're like, oh, wow, this is, this is a, a, a quick win. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, the goal of that is for you to start to visualize it a little bit more because not everyone's a visual person or a creative person. So it's, I could say that something feels, you know, masculine, but that might translate like very differently to how you perceive it. So, you know, I want to make sure that if I'm like using these kind of descriptive terms to start building out your brand, like, fresh, cool, clean, minimal, masculine, and then applying those to like a visual identity, that that's the same tone. We're speaking the same visual language. So that was kind of the goal of this exercise, you know, to be able to develop these simple, you know, adjectives for how we want to pull reference imagery and create an identity and and then map it back to what works and what doesn't work. So, you know, the first concept was kind of this rough and tough, you know, rugged Western feel. And then the second one, you know, was called Smooth Cactus. And so that one is a little bit more 
about a modern kind of just like a, a modern eclectic look, you know, and being able to kind of understand those differences. And that felt a little bit more futuristic. It felt a little bit more urban. You know, the other one had had felt very out in the wilderness. So, you know, and, and just those elements can start painting the fuller picture. And, and that's, you know, where we landed. What usually happens after that first you know, concept is presented of the three design directions is you say, I like a little bit from option one and I like a little bit of option three. And I kind of want to see what those look like together. And we start kind of honing in on something because now we're speaking the same visual language. So we can start applying that look and feel into something that feels more solid. Mm. Yeah, it, it was so fun because there are these decisions you have to make, like, oh, am I going more urban? Am I going more like rugged? And it is a totally different look and feel for the brand. We we choose one and I'm like, I'm fired up. It's like, all right, we've got like our brand kit as far as fonts, colors, tone, what we want to go for. And then I know what you're capable of, of turning us into an actual like website. So we're about to like go down that path of like, what is this MVP of a website? Here's two things where I think people can spend way too much time where it kind of doesn't matter. And that's brand or that's logos and your name. I will say if you nail the name, it does matter. Like if you can be a freelancer service and you get freelancer.com and that's your name, then that's a great advantage. But at the same time, there's so many companies out there with names that just don't matter. You know, like Casper Mattress could have been anything. Allbirds could have been any other name. So it's also hard though, because it's this blocker. Like I would find like we're on the Slack channel going back and forth on names for 30 minutes. I'm like, is this the best use of time to be going through the, the name game process? But before we unveil the name, do you remember some of the, the names we threw out there? And like, let's talk about like what our process should be with that. But <laughs> what names do you remember? I remember like Dirty Dog. I remember... <laughs> Nomad man, I mean cactus, but that was like a thrift shop. I was like, oh dang, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we probably put together upwards of two hundred names, and that was maybe like a time suck, but it's a fun time suck, and it is what I do think it it didn't waste time on was it got me understanding your personality a little bit more and you're the essence of this brand at the end of the day. And so that was a good exercise and it helped me think about, okay, this is a tone of Jim's personality. This could help define the tone of the voice for the brand. And I'm going to like make him work harder on giving me some of that language. But the naming process, I think is really hard. And sometimes I actually think brands probably come up with names because they're like, I am so over this and we're going to call it this and then it's going to work. You know, and I, I don't know what the naming process should be. I think there's, you know, I don't know. You tell me, what do you think? I don't know. Be? I, at one startup, we were there on a Sunday, we locked ourselves in a room for five hours and we didn't come out until we came out with the name. And it was, it was fun and also miserable at the same time. And so the way it's worked for us is lightning will strike and then you and I will slide back and forth. And then I'm in GoDaddy or Google domains. I'm like, oh crap, it's taken. 
And so I don't know. I like I love names that say what it is. I love names that give the essence of what it is in an aspirational way. And so, yeah, what we settled on, this is so exciting. We settled yeah. on Handsome Chaos as, as the name. I, I love it because it's kind of fun. It plays the word, the aspiration of what you want to do. I don't like it because there's a lot of letters, but, but it was fun and the URL was available. So there we go. It's, it's a win <laughs> all the way around. I think it's a win. And I think that it also kind of inspired other elements that, that kept leading us into building the brand out, you know, specifically when it came to building out like our logo, which like we said earlier, might not be like the best use of time in terms of validating a product and wanting to get it done really fast. Sometimes I think people spend a lot of time on logos and I do think that they they matter, but they matter most when your brand is really recognized. And, you know, for us, it actually didn't take too long to develop a logo. I, I honestly think we did it in about a day when you, maybe you added up the hours spent on it. And and we kind of, you know, we just like locked it in, which isn't the way that I would typically do it. You know, if somebody came to me and said, I want to build a brand, I, you know, that would be a, a really big, you know, I want to build a brand logo. That would be a, a big project. So I think we were actually very efficient in it in terms of our process, our validation process, but it led us into developing a visual language where we started looking at other logos and we started looking at other elements. And it was something as simple as like, we went into Pinterest and I found an illustration and I was like, this has got a really cool vibe. And you were like, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what if we had, what if we developed all of these amazing illustrations of like guys with, with amazing hair, because it's going to be really hard for us to build a website with basically no images or only images of Jim's hair. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm better for radio than uh, TV when it comes to the modeling, maybe. But... <laughs> You've got great hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just do aerial shots. Yeah. So, and I think that gets to the next point. It's like, all right, we've got this foundation. We've got the brand feel. We've got the name. We've, we've got a like working logo. And, but what really matters is we got to stand up a website to drive traffic to. And so the thing that you and I are thinking through is what's the least amount we can do to get something up that portrays what we want. Like what you said at the top was honestly, we just need one product detail page where people can see the product and buy. You can make the argument. That's what you want. But as you and I were going through this, it's like, you know what, if we're selling a premium product at this price point, we, we need to give them more because they're going to expect more. They need more trust signals. So we're like, all right, let's do a homepage. That's not going to be too hard. It'll be a short homepage. But then the other thing that we did, which might not be necessary, we made an about us page. And the reason for that is we think there's a fun, authentic story behind this as far as like me stealing product from my wife to handle like having longer hair and talking about that is like the reason why we started this. And so we essentially created a three-page website, right? So it's a, a homepage, product detail page, and then an about us page. I mean, do you think that was the right or did right amount or did we do too much? I think that it was the right amount. 
given exactly what you just said, like we wanted to build a little bit more like trust and authenticity. I think when you're speaking to beauty products, you know, there's a difference between buying something that just doesn't feel trustworthy when you're going to put it on your body and, and really use it. And being able to build the story about you was really authentic and building that trust coming from an actual person that's unafraid to you know, put their, their story, uh, you know, on the internet, <laughs> I think is, is, I mean, it's really huge for building a brand and it, it was more work. Like we could have probably spent less time on the design and been like, we're just going to write a bio about Jim. But unfortunately you're stuck with, you know, somebody that really cares about design. So I couldn't really like let that go. And we wanted it to feel aligned with the rest of the site, which, you know, had a very clear visual direction. So, you know, and, and we wanted to have a little bit of, we, we, we toggled with the idea of like, what happens if people come to this site from a paid ad and like, they can't go anywhere. Like, does that build trust? Like, is it like, all you got is this, this PDP page where you have to buy something immediately? And so we wanted to give people just a little bit more time to understand where the product came from and, and be able to navigate a few pages so that that experience didn't kind of feel like a trap at the end of, you know, maybe being served an ad and, and going, you know, acting on it. Yeah. And it, I hopefully it didn't take, make it take too much time, but I'm glad we did it afterwards. So here's the other thing. You have worked on some very big brands and you've made some amazing websites and experiences for them, but they give you things like images and assets that you can work with. We have some real constraints, but constraints can breed creativity. And so we're like, okay, we have a product detail page. We know we need to talk about the benefits. We want to talk about the use case. We want to educate when and how to use this. But we don't even have a product. We're still working with the manufacturer. We're at version freaking 37 right now. And we're so close and we're not there, but we don't have a product. We don't have any models using it. I attempted some photos that uh, we will be burning so no one can ever see those. But you have these constraints. But what I'm so proud of is how scrappy we were to make a PDP page that is on par with those VC-backed companies. So can you talk about some of the scrappy things you did from... And again, it's not like we have a lot of stock imagery, very minimal actually, but what you did to use that to Photoshop with illustrations and how mm -hmm. you had to like work with those constraints. Yeah. Well, I think that it was definitely a challenge and I kind of found myself being like, well, we can build really beautiful wireframes and they don't need any imagery, <laughs> you know, and I think I sold you on like the layout of the page and the flow of the page there. And as we were starting to kind of build this specific page out, you know, we, we really needed some elements of storytelling. And, you know, when you have a, a visual brand, you do need visuals. So, you know, it was scouring the web. Like we, we did a lot of searching on, you know, royalty-free image sites like Unsplash or Pexels, maybe just looking for some aspirational hair content, which isn't really hard to find. You're trying to basically like retrofit something else into something else. And, you know, they don't always align. So, you know, being scrappy, trying to find pictures that felt on brand 
and that you didn't have to pay for. You know, so that was kind of like the first step. The second step was being able to really use graphic design to our advantage in this point, which I think was a really successful outcome because, you know, part of, and, and this is a little unintentional, but I think it, it, we were really able to show diversity through illustrations, you know, where we were able to have all sorts of different hairstyles kind of drawn. And so we were able to represent a lot of different types of of human hair. And I think that that was really cool without having to, you know, find pictures of all of these elements or pay for tons of models and usage rights for all of these different types of hair. So, you know, where we spent a little bit of money to pay for illustrations, it would have cost us probably 20 times that to pay for all of those models and to really have that. So I think that scrappiness, what was difficult to conceptualize, um, paid out in a lot of ways for the brand itself. And, you know, now we're able to use, I think we did like 20 illustrations of hair. And now we're able to use that across all of our different initiatives and be able to have kind of that as part of our brand identity, you know, which will be really helpful as we move forward in the validation process. And it also helped us, you know, one other aspect of the graphic design is we were able to create like a fun timeline of how to use it. So it's, you know, it's a line with all these little stopping points of your day that say, okay, use it right when you wake up, use it after the gym and use it before the cute girl down the hall calls you for a date. And we were able to kind of lean into language and simple elements. I think that that's, was, was really fun. And we, we collaborated with our designers and kind of gave them that challenge, like, okay, make, make this look cool. And they did. Yeah. And I'm so happy about that. And the other thing is when you get deep into building a website, so many ideas for ads come out because the goal here is to drive traffic to this. And the fast way to get traffic is to pay for it. And so as we're building it, the site, the byproduct of it is ads. And even as we're making ads, we actually took one of the ads that's performing the best and put that on the product detail page as almost like a how it works video. And so we have that. The other thing that we're going to be doing once we have the actual uh, product is uh, seeding it with influencers where we can use their content. So instead of doing a photo shoot with models, it'll be leveraging content from influencers to use for marketing purposes. Honestly, I think that's like some of the best use cases for influencers is just getting their content that you can use with your, your marketing initiative. One other thing that you and I are thinking through now, it hasn't been built out is it's one thing to build a pretty website, but it's another thing to build a website that converts. And you and I know that very well. Like with any e-commerce site, there's three to seven reasons why people don't convert. It's price, it's how it works, it's quality, it's shipping. And so we're very intentional with, we need to design to address those objections and point of frictions. So that's built into the design. The other thing is, how do we get people to act now? So what we're working through now is, what is that irresistible offer we design into this brand, which is you buy one, you get one free. If you refer however many people, you get one free if you subscribe. And so those are the big swing experiments that we're going to be thinking through that we want to build into the design. And so people are also kind of wondering, it's like, okay, how long did this take? What did it cost? 
So our unfair advantage is that we have Angela. So the design was able to happen. I don't know if that's free or not, however we want to call that, but we have that. And then we built this on Shopify. So we did have to pay for a Shopify subscription. Why did we do that? We're very familiar with Shopify. We wanted the apps that you could plug in and we didn't want to have to design a full checkout experience. You get it right there and it's, it's, it won't impact conversion rate. It's really strong. We have a developer who helped build this out, who we're very friendly with. It ended up costing us under 1500 bucks to get it built out. So a three-page website, which we see Shopify sites going for twenty to $40,000. So I feel like that was um, a win as far as the... And I think it took them a couple of weeks to do it. So it was pretty good because we're really trying to save all of our money to focus on buying product and to run experiments and to do ads so we can validate it uh, faster. And then you designed everything in Figma. I'm trying to think of any other tools that we use. And then you use some of the Unsplash. You mentioned that for getting images. Yeah, we use Photoshop a lot to create like different mockups. There's a ton of cool like free resources online. You know, there's like live PSD mockups. And when you're selling like a beauty product or any kind of consumer packaged good, like there's a lot of like free resources. So you can get, we have a pomade jar and we're able to like showcase what that packaging could look like. And so those are those are great and they can be free a lot of the time or, or sometimes you pay for them and they're only like $10. I tried to find free ones so that we could be scrappy. Obviously we use like Illustrator to create a lot of like our custom artwork, but some of those subscriptions for those products are, are relatively inexpensive, you know, like $20 a month if you want to do some of the Adobe software. So, you know, those are, I think, you know, scrappy ways, you know, to get assets where you're not paying for for them, which can be really expensive. Yeah. So go to handsomechaos.com and let us know what you think. But just know as you look at this, Angela had to build this with literally nothing but me throwing random ideas at her. And she built this out of thin air. Like I'm I'm so proud of that. And just the muscle we're building to do this. Cause we have another idea we're working on. We won't talk about it now. It's in the the home goods space. We'll call it that very vague. But I'm excited to kind of run it through this process and see how fast we can do it. And the other thing is we have another one that's in the B2B space that I think that one will probably be a one-page site that could even go even even faster. So as you kind of reflect on this, what went well, what didn't go well in this process? What went well? I've, I've got something for you on what didn't go well. I, okay. Well, I think it's... I need to hold myself in check on how many edits I get. Cause we have this with clients. We'll do design oh, work yeah. and round and round we go and they're fun collaborations, but it's like, we've been working on this landing page for eight weeks. Can we please ship it? Let's just make this decision and, and yeah. have a bias towards action. And so I told you, I was like, you only give me two edits so right. we can move fast because I'll like marinate on stuff. And so I think being disciplined in that next time even more can be good. And the truth is we have other things going on in addition to this. So it would sit sometimes, but that's just the nature of doing this in tandem with running an agency. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that would be like the biggest, what didn't go well is, you know, having, if this could be the only focus, right? Because we would be able to do it 10 times faster and maybe even have a little bit more to it at that fast pace. 
So having to kind of have so much else going on and not having the focus, you know, now we kind of learn from that where it's like, okay, maybe we don't perfect something so much. Maybe we don't spend as much time iterating on one specific element. We just want, because we just want to understand, is somebody going to buy this? Is somebody going to want this? If they want it, if they buy it, we can go back and, and perfect all of these pieces. We can learn from things that aren't working on the site, but like we can't, we're not going to get it right, like right out of the gate in this like very, very quick time. And so now we kind of know that. And I think we can be a little bit swifter in our decision-making. Yes. And we have a designer coming on that you can delegate to and get more support. So that will be helpful. But no, that's a really good call out. Well, the, the games are about to begin. We've already started building up a wait list for the product. I think we have 350 people on it. And we're about to start selling a product that does not exist for pre-orders. So let's see how smart this podcast looks here in a few weeks or months after it gets in the wild. But Angela, anything else? No, thank you um, for having me. I'm honored to be here and excited to share Handsome Chaos with the world. And I can't wait to see what happens. Awesome. Well, the first of many. But Angela, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Jim. Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.